today on the Totally Football Show. Liverpool Spurs was awesome. Can't say the same about referee Craig Pawson. Chelsea Spurs Arsenal and United have a Champions League force. And we round it all up from the post-game rants to a league trophy in France to a Liverpool coach with wet pads. And we salute Huddersfield. It's all in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Who's in your ears today, listener? Well, this is the sound of Michael Cox. Hi, James. That's the sound of Sasha Gurionov. Morning, James. And hello to Leroy Rosenia, or should I say Leroy Rosenia, MBE. Morning, James. Welcome back, Leroy. Good to be back. Well, it's been a while, hasn't it? It has, yeah, I think. Congrats, by the way, on your honorific. Thanks very much, mate. Really, really appreciate that. Well, we all really appreciate you, so that's nice. <laughs> uh, it was a big weekend not just in the Premier League, but across Europe. Some really extraordinary tales, and indeed the world, actually. Some really extraordinary tales to tell. In the Premier League, we waved bye-bye to Huddersfield. Fulham could well go in a couple of days' time, but, Sasha, the title race is still on. I'm still trying to recover from it all. Um, I don't think I've seen Anfield go that berserk for quite some time, genuinely berserk. And I think, obviously, the huge factor in that is this is Soko Miss. Uh, five minutes before, um, all the vitals managed to fumble it over the line. But I still have it in my mind. It's this sudden break, two on one. What does Van Dijk do? Does he close him down? Does, 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 does he try to cover the pass? And it's all kind of, it went on for ages, went on for ages, mm. went on for ages towards Anfield Road end. And then when Sissoko put it over, you think, oh, maybe they've escaped. And then Ali killed it just, just over three minutes later. And you think, well, this is Liverpool. They're going to lose here. And with it, you know, the whole dream is going to be shattered. And I think the, the ground felt the same. And then I think it's almost out of nothing. Liverpool did not look like scoring at that stage. And Lloris, I'm afraid, I think I've been critical of him for quite some time now. And this is yet another mistake. I think he's added to his armory there. Got it completely wrong. Just everything about what he was trying to do is totally wrong. I think probably the fairest explanation is that if you're not quite sure of your handling, that's why you start moving your feet like that. But... Yeah, Liverpool got lucky um, with that. Liverpool have been pretty fortunate with some pretty bad opposition goalkeeping this season in front of the cop. But you know what? I don't think any of those 50,000 people cared at the end. It was just just joy. Right. Just joy around Anfield. Hugo Lloris carrying the can for Spurs. But was it also as much about all the chances that their other players hadn't put away, including that Sissoko moment when he and Son were two-on-one with VVD? Yeah, definitely. There was also, I think, quite an overlooked moment where Danny Rose completely mishit a pretty easy pass or cross that would have given uh, Harry Kane a point-blank chance with about five minutes to go. It was an interesting game, I thought, because Liverpool were completely dominant in the in the first half hour. It reminded me a little bit of uh, the same fixture in Liverpool's last title-winning season when I think Liverpool were about 4-0 up uh, after half an hour against Tottenham. And I thought it was going to be another game like that, but I thought Liverpool's problem was they just didn't press home their advantage in those opening stages when Spurs were still trying to reorganise. But to Pochettino's credit, I thought he changed things really well, first with the shift to five across the middle and then pushing Rose forward and going pretty much 4-4-2 after the break. And I thought it was interesting when you consider he was up in the stands. And I, I, I'm still intrigued by the fact that managers sit in the, in the dugouts when, in a tactical sense, he gets such a clearer picture from higher up. Obviously, there was some... Slight issues with communication and he's having to phone his instructions down. But I think he got the better of Klopp in, in terms of the tactical battle here. Leroy, what's the advantage of being... Is it just so you can shout at players? Because you clearly get a better view from up top. 
When you're emo- slightly more emotionally detached, and I think that make, allows you to make clearer decisions, you can see the whole picture. Because when you're at ground level, it's uh, it's much more difficult to see whether if you're on the, the left side of the pitch, what your right wing is doing. And that's really key. When the ball's on this side of the pitch, what is the position of the, the player furthest away from you? So in, And you saw, and you know, you're absolutely right, Michael. You know, he went to, he had five at the back with three in midfield. And the goal came from, the ball going wide and the three and the, the outside player being Ericsson couldn't get to the, the cross with Robson. That's why I timed to cross it. He then went to, Moore went into left side midfield. Ericsson dropped into the right. So he had four. So when it came to Robson, he was confronted by Ericsson. But I'm not sure he would have seen that as early than being uh, down pitch side. Second half, you're absolutely right. And I think this is a message for other teams that play Liverpool. Do not give them, uh, you have to press high at the pitch. It's no, there's no safety in numbers at the back. Because we've got, they've got three up front, I've always thought that when you play three up front, you have one spare defender. Play four at the back. So many teams play five and allow the midfield to get on top. The, the Liverpool's two most attacking players with the most assists are their fullbacks, right. Trent Alexander and Robertson. He was absolutely outstanding. You have to stop at source. And that's what Tottenham did really well. When I saw the lineup at, at the start, I thought I saw that they, they've gone five across the back. And I saw them play five across the back um, at Arsenal. And I was thinking, ooh, that's not going to be enough on that midfield because they really were a midfielder short. And then I saw how they lined up with Ali there, very deep. And I thought, well, this is going to be too deep. They're not, how are they going to get out here? And they're really giving initiative to Liverpool. However, I think there was a sense that I would disagree with Michael that Liverpool were decent in the first half an hour because I actually thought they were very uncomfortable in the first 15 minutes because for me, Lucas Moro had an excellent game and he basically managed to connect the midfield with... Um, with Kane, with, with his running, his movement, and Liverpool weren't really picking him up. And for me, the goal almost came, but it wasn't against the run of play, but I was surprised that Robertson was afforded that space to put the ball in. Mm. Um, and but yes, that was quite evident throughout. I mean, Henderson was switching the play between, they always had that out ball. Obviously, Klopp enjoys the switching of play, but I think in spells, Liverpool weren't switching the play quickly enough, so Spurs can turn. Who had the best pass of the game? Was it Kane, that delicious mm. quarterback style? Oh. Uh, he had switcheroo yeah. or, or was it Robertson's for the opening goal I actually think Kane's ball for the for the Spurs yeah. goal is absolutely incredible because yeah. he has the presence of mind to turn to think to put that through and also it was Kane's ball that set up the two on one exactly. it's a very similar turn as well and that's like you look at the hurricane wow well you know you said about Moore having a good game in the first half yeah he did have a good game but it was all in the midfield he was getting the ball and running and that's not a problem for defenders if sworn in front of you. The problem was for Liverpool in the, in the second half that people were getting beyond Harry Kane. And I've always said that Harry Kane was just a goal scorer and he hadn't developed. I saw him play against England against Czech Republic. And I oh, thought yeah. I mm. thought he was terrific, bringing other players into the game. And he needs players to go beyond him now. And he is becoming an all-round centre-forward. And second half, because of the change of system, Moore didn't get as much in the game, but he was running beyond. And, and, and when you're playing away from home, the counter-attack... It's about your front man holding the ball up and people getting beyond you, which they couldn't do in the first half because of the system. And then also, I think Klopp possibly got desperate towards the end with his switch to 4-2-4 because then that Liverpool left Liverpool even more wide open to those counter-attacks. They weren't really happening for the first 10 minutes, but once the Kane, the Kane pass for the 2-on-1 happened, at that stage, you could see how vulnerable Liverpool really were to this. Yeah, I was just going to say, just for that... That's why Van Dijk is a fantastic defender. Right. And it's not because he's six foot four and heads the ball. It's not because he's the quickest thing on two feet you'll ever see in a fantastic uh, specimen. It's because he thinks clearly. Mm. And when good defenders give, make the forward make a decision, instead of taking the decision, because if you're diving, you take the decision out of the, 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 the forward's hands. And he, he knew someone was on his outside left shoulder. He knew Sussex was in front of him. And in that split second, he's thinking, 
Well, I know you haven't got a left foot. He was like I a know- man with two rival offers for a Friday night uh, iPhone. Exactly. You're just kind of pushing them down to see which one's going to... And he just, made, as you say, bided his time. But, and picked the right option. Which Absolutely. Is, absolutely. A- and also perfect body shape so he could turn either way. It's just a really, really good mm. piece of defending. Spurs, we, we will maybe address a bit later on the, the question of whether or not they played like a team losing their fourth game in their last five. But Virgil van Dijk, huge. His boot, by the way, of the ball out of the stadium... After the uh, after the, the 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 winning goal was pretty awesome. I missed that. I must what, say. Was it? Yeah. I, that, yeah. I didn't. I didn't see yeah, yeah. So well. basically, <laughs> after the Alderweireld goal, mm. uh, basically they all go over to the corner flag, and they, and and Van Dijk gets the ball and just basically punts it straight out of the stadium, literally mm. onto the roof. And afterwards, I didn't. I saw an interview with, it, with him, and he hurt his ankle. And that's what I, was, I, I wanted to ask him. Did you hurt your ankle booting the ball out of the stadium? <laughs> I've yeah. never seen it. it. Went into outer space, James. It was it ridiculous. Was extraordinary. But we do need to talk. I mean, you mentioned the fullbacks, but mm. Andy Robertson, who. Uh, Duncan Alexander is pointing out now has the same number of assists as Ericsson, Pogba and Sterling this season. Yeah, as Leroy was saying, I think they're the two most creative players and it's a funny kind of side Liverpool because you look at the midfield, they're very workmanlike, they're very disciplined, but they don't have someone who can really break down the opposition, I think, in there, aside from sometimes when they play Lalana. But so much of the creativity has come from those two. And the thing I like about Alexander-Arnold is he's shown often this season he's a great crosser. But he can actually play really incisive passes and he can cut inside and almost float the ball over the fence with his left foot. And you think this is a right-sided fullback playing, you know, defence-splitting passes with his weaker foot, which is something I don't think I've seen before. Yeah. And also amazing diagonals. And I think it was yeah. his ball to Origi that actually led to the corner that led to the goal. Yeah. Um, and I think you could see when Trent Alexander-Arnold was out injured, Liverpool are really, really stymied in the way they can attack because they can only go down one flank and that's too much pressure on Robertson. Well, the other flank, the other fullback doesn't really function. Okay, well, a couple of other tactical questions about this game. One, why did Liverpool's goalkeeping coach have wet shorts? Uh, 50-odd thousand people had wet shorts, James. Oh, do they? Oh, oh wait, uh, yeah, no, in that sense. But he genuinely did. I mean, that was one of the singular things about coverage, was when he came out to celebrate, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he had this big wet patch on this. <laughs> You've seen a lot of things I've completely missed about it. I might be conflating two different... I hope it's not what I think yeah. it is, James. Let's uh, OK, way. and, and um, well, here's a question from Adam Hill, then, about Mo Salah. Um, is Mo Salah's desperation to score now the biggest threat to Liverpool's title hopes? There are numerous occasions, says Adam, mm. recently when he has refused to play in better placed teammates to unsuccessfully take a shot. Happened again yesterday. Of course, it was his header which led to the own goal and, and Liverpool's winner. But w- w- what do you think? Will Mo Salah ever score again, Sasha? <laughs> <laughs> I think he might just do, but Salah keeps... He does not give up. I think in these situations, you could, you could see some players' shoulders go down. I think he's clearly struggling, but at the same time, he is still a thorn in the side of any defence. They put extra players on him. Create, that, that creates space for others. And, you know, for, for that goal yesterday at the end, he, he still switched on. It's 90th me. He still switched on. Yes, I think, I think, if anything, it should be a much better header than that. It's, the head is basically straight at the goalkeeper. He should be putting it right. across to the, to, to the far post, out of reach of Lloris, but he doesn't do it. But he's still in that position. Can I just say, it, it was a rubbish header. And we just talked about Virgil van Dijk thinking clearly. And the other, when you're a front player, and we see it happen at Man City, when they're in a, somebody's in a better position, they give it to someone, they tap it into the back of the net. Mm. Mo Salah, is, he feels under pressure because of his own performance. And he shouldn't be. He should be feeling, we're all right as a team, and I'm doing my bit. And he does do his bit. But when Mane is running beside you on a two-on-one, we saw what Van Dijk did. And in the, on, the, on the opposite side of that, he was in a position where he just should give it to Mane. Mane's a man, he's the man in, in charge. And last season, when it was all about Salah, they gave him the ball. Mane would give him the ball. But it's not about Salah now. And I think in his head, a little bit, it's about him. 
and and Liverpool got away with it yesterday. Let's not let's not beat around. They got away with it not only because the chances Tottenham missed, but because there were opportunities when he was he's there two on one and and Salah doesn't pass the ball. He shoots when when he shouldn't shoot. You know, and he should be thinking, okay, I'm part of the team. That my goal will come at the moment. Mane is the main man. And he should have passed the ball to him. And there's no real excuse for it. And you know, it reminded me of, um, a, there was a chance late in the Fulham game when Mane and Salah broke. Mm. And Mane actually passed to Salah, who yeah. then shot at the keeper. It's worth pointing out that the Salah of the last five or six games is pretty much the Salah we saw before he went to Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, at true. Roma, he was always quick. He was always threatening. But his decision-making was often very bad. And he wasn't a prolific scorer of goals. No, but I don't think he saw that as his responsibility. I remember him servicing, if that's sure. the expression, yeah. other players more than he does now. But when you consider, I mean, for him to get 30 Premier League goals last season was yeah. historically good. He's still sec- joint second top scorer this season. So it's a bit of a blip, but when you when you consider his overall right. form. But I'm just saying that if going down these last seven games, they can't afford to make... I think Liverpool... In, I, I still think Man City are fantastic, but you look at the fixtures, Liverpool in the box seat, let's, and, it, and you can't make mistakes like that again. Right. Yeah. So Liverpool have Saints away, Chelsea at home, Cardiff away, Huddersfield at home, Newcastle away, Wolves at home. Chelsea at home is the one that maybe stands out there, or given the way Chelsea are playing yeah. on the road, perhaps not. City are two points behind, but with a game in hand. That'll be... Uh, at home to Cardiff this midweek, an angry Cardiff. But then they've Makes got change. then they've got uh, Spurs coming up. They've got that trip to Man United, uh, and they finish the season away at Brighton. But they also have Champions League games, FA Cup, mm. etc. What do you think about the run-in? I think Liverpool got slightly favourable run-in. I think that's clear. But uh, with some of these fixtures, when you talk about Wolves and a couple of the other sides, we don't quite know. They might be preparing for a cup final. There's a couple of teams that might have already gone down. It does come down to small little factors, almost, right. well, basically luck in terms of how difficult these fixtures will be. But also one thing to take away from yesterday's game. Yeah. Spurs are going to make City work for it over those three games. Yeah. Really, really going to work, make them work for it. It's going to be so difficult for City. So how they come out of those games in what state, I'm not sure. All right, Sasha. Well, much to discuss in the rest of today's show, not least the extraordinary situation that Spurs now find themselves in. Just one point separating uh, them, Man United, and then Arsenal and Chelsea right behind them. Chelsea, of course, back in there after Sunday's other game away at Cardiff. And we have a lot to talk about from that after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Wins on Saturday for Burnley and Southampton meant that the pressure was on Cardiff. Come Sunday, one at the Cardiff City Stadium, Chelsea came to visit and the Bluebirds responded. With six minutes to go, Michael, they were 1-0 up after that fantastic Victor Camaraza volley. It was a bit tasty, wasn't it? I'm not convinced it was a volley, but it was very much tasty. Oh, yes. It wasn't a volley, was it? No, at all? not really. But, but it was kind of... An a, excellent finish, yeah. Kind yeah, of one-timer. Near-post near sweep into the into the top corner. Yeah, it was, so. it was lovely. Yeah, I, I do feel sorry for Cardiff. They played very well here. I, I think they basically did what Cardiff do. That they go direct, they're dangerous at set pieces, they don't actually score much from set pieces, but they do cause teams problems. And Chelsea struggled to live with it and, and were lucky in, I think, three separate uh, decisions. Well, let's talk about that. The fans with Chelsea 1-0 down, Chelsea fans were chant- chanting for Sarri to go, Cardiff fans were chanting for him to stay, and there were controversial moments galore. Where do you want to start? I think the the Rudiger pull on Morrison is the kind of thing you see in most games and, and often they aren't given. Uh-huh. I was surprised that it wasn't a red card for the hauling down Zahor. Right. Because I think in that situation, generally, 
the benefit of the doubt almost was, is with the attack. So Zahor was basically through on the goal. Goalkeepers had to come out of his area. I disagree with him on that one. You don't think that was a red card? No, because the goalkeeper was coming out and actually Zahor was actually almost running away from the ball. He was a good five yards away from the ball to the side. All right. And I don't think it was a goal scorer. So I, I have to agree that Craig Paulson got that right. But I do agree. I think it was the only thing he got right uh, on the day. And okay. uh, I felt for, for Cardiff because Chelsea were appalling. They deserved nothing from the game. The biggest decision, though, from an officiating point of view, was for the equaliser put away by Azpilicueta from a massively offside position. Yeah, it was clearly offside. I can see why the linesman got it wrong because it's one where, as he's headed the ball, He's on an onside position. I think the linesman's view as well was blocked by Willian, who's yeah. taking the corner. But yeah, it was a, it was an error. Uh, Neil Warnock certainly unhappy. <laughs> um, for the neutral, great scenes. I think particularly at the end, as Neil stares them down, stares down the <laughs> the officiating team, and then uh, holds keeps his counsel for the post game interviews. And of course, I think everyone was feeling rotten for for Cardiff at this point until at least people pointed out that they themselves had picked up three points in similar circumstances through Sol Bamba's very, very offside winner against Brighton earlier in the season, after which Neil had had a good old chuckle about it and said that's just the way that it works. Yeah, and I have every sympathy with him about the decisions because I think they were very unfortunate, but I didn't quite understand some of his arguments saying that the officials don't know what's at stake. Mm. I think he said that two or three times. I'm not quite sure whether that's true and why that matters. It doesn't seem to make any sense to well, me. Well, let's talk about his opposite number on the Chelsea bench then. He gets the three points. Chelsea arguably deserves some praise for the, the comeback. But will, will any of this make any difference, do you think, for Sarri? I know you're a, a, quite a fan of, of his style of football. Do you like what you're seeing from Chelsea? No, I don't think they've improved at all since the start of the season. If anything, they've probably gone backwards. I think it was hugely surprising how well they... Well, the results were very good in the first few weeks. But no, there's there's been no sign that they're adapting to the way that they play. His, his Napoli side were the best team I've seen in the last five years were probably on a completely different level to this. Um, I don't think the players are behind him and, and the supporters certainly aren't. So right. No. They're just so slow compared to that Napoli side, no? They are and they just don't have the patterns and the movement that, that it's all, you know, that Napoli were all about. I think a centre forward's a big deal in that. Um, you know, Mertens was a completely different style of play to to Higuain and Giroud who I like in different ways but are not suited to this kind of pass and move football. Yeah. Eden Hazard and N'Golo Kante kept on the bench, at least to begin with. Callum Hudson-Odoi not making it off the bench, too much to the chagrin of the Chelsea supporters, potentially being saved for Brighton on Wednesday. I'm not sure. Billy Harsh asks a more long-term question. How much trouble are Chelsea going to be in? How bad will their decline get? They can't compete four players with the big clubs. The stadium's old two elite players in their roster, one of them wants to leave. Could they end up being fourth in London behind not only Arsenal and Spurs, but West Ham by 2025? What do you think? West Ham. Maybe the images of, of the Saturday defeat against Everton are a bit too fresh, but um, the thing is, the short terms of Chelsea might catch up with them. The sort of... A, lack of long-term thinking. B, maybe the personality of the manager. Look, earlier in the season, he was praising them because he thought they were much ahead of schedule mm. to what they expected. And players were enthusiastic. They were, you know, they were they were trying to impress. They were, I mean, I guess Liverpool, for example, the one-all draw, I thought Chelsea were absolutely fantastic. But as the season wears on, as he has more goals with them, they just seem to be, they're, they're losing enthusiasm for whatever he's asking of them. Mm. They flag, like, last periods of the match. Like, I don't know, I guess Fulham. Last half an hour, okay, he mentioned tiredness and stuff, but last half an hour, we just, they were just walking around the pitch. Uh, and this is against a side that's heading like really readily for relegation. And it's, yeah, I, I think, well, he's already lost the fans. Um, 
he seems to be lose players every other game. Maybe he's lost them as well. The signing of Iguain has had absolutely no positive impact for me. You know, when the ball comes to him and he needs to finish, he can do that. But there's just no mobility there. And yeah, it's just it's just looking very it's just looking very mad at the moment. And I think mm. the huge game for Sari will be the game at Anfield in two weeks' time. If they lose heavily there, that's that's the end. And at, at the rate they're going at the moment, I cannot see them putting in a big performance. The one thing about Sari's position is: is it helped or hurt by the transfer ban in terms of their ability to change manager now, Chelsea? I, I think it's massively hurt because I think people at Chelsea would have recognised that. The players that he has brought in, well, he has been able to bring players in. Jorginho, Higuain, right. have been have been an absolute failure. So to keep and him, they'd need to change players. They, I, th- they, I think, yeah. But the the thing is, I know you're saying about going beyond West Ham. Chelsea got some terrific young players, right. and one of their best young players, as Sasha said, was sat on the bench yesterday. Loftus Cheek came off the bench and scored. And Peduza is recognised as being a very good player. Everybody thinks he's going to be a fantastic player. But so he's got these players under his nose and he doesn't see the positives from him and Scout Southgate gives Hudson Odoi his debut and plays him on his favoured left hand side and he gets something out of him so if this transfer embargo is, goes ahead then I will feel that players at, at, uh, at Stanf- uh, sorry, the, the, the board at Stamford Bridge will feel that he's not the right manager to bring on those young players For now they are just one point off the top four as for Cardiff does look pretty damning for them, the position. They are five points off uh, the next three teams, Brighton, Southampton and Burnley. They do have a game in hand on Burnley, though, but then Brighton have a game in hand on them. They've got City away on Wednesday, Cardiff, then Burnley and Brighton away, Liverpool at home, Fulham away, uh, Palace at home, and then they finish away to United at Old Trafford. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could relegate Cardiff for a second time. <laughs> nice. Brilliant. Are they, are they, is the relegation battle over? Well, think? no, the Burnley game. I mean, if That's... Cardiff win against Burnley, then it's back on. OK. Um, but obviously that was a, a dreadful weekend for them. But... Yeah, not so much for Burnley. We'll talk no. about that in a second. I'm Graham Wilcos, here to tell you that the Bradley Wiggins Show from Eurosport is back for a brand new series. For 20 years I've just been called a hero and a legend, you know, and other things obviously, but only beyond the back. <laughs> we'll bring you stage-by-stage analysis of the Giro d'Italia, the World Championships, La Vuelta, and of course, the Tour de France. Oh, he's got it in. Second time down, he's back Each week, Sir Brad and our panel of cycling experts will be taking a deep dive into the world of two wheels and lycra. Brailsford could put his hand down the toilet and pull chocolate out. The Bradley Wiggins Show from Eurosport is your essential guide to the greatest events in cycling. Subscribe now on Audioboom, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Ooh, there's me having my herbal infusion. Uh, right. Anyway, now back on to Burnley and Saints, who were both winners, piling, as we mentioned before, the pressure on Cardiff. Saints got the win at Brighton, whose home form has suddenly gone down the pan. Burnley, meanwhile, who I think had lost four in a row prior to this, mm-hmm. went and beat Wolves 2 0. Their first clean sheet in nine. A lot of love for Tarkovsky and uh, Daniel Story's favourite player, Burnley teenager Dwight McNeil. Yeah, I, I, I think he's my favourite player at Burnley as well. Left sided. Still a teenager. I think he's only 19 He's still. only 19. But he's, uh, you know, those left-sided players who've got great balance and they seem to, when it's still when they're moving quickly, have got great awareness, they know what's going on around them. He, he's one of those. And, uh, you know, fair play to uh, 
to Sean um, because you know he's 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 had lots of injuries and and uh, Dwight McNeil's come on the scenes a local lad and he's and he's persisted with them when they've had tough times. Oh, start you know, start the 2019. Yeah, they went an unbeaten run, but you think. When you're going to lose four games in a row, the first players to come out, especially under Sean Dice, would be the young player. But no, he's shown real belief in him. And it was, a, it was an excellent finish. I mean, you can question Patricio's uh, position, but he hit it early before the goalkeeper yeah. got set. And that's a, a great natural ability to have. And it was a massive result for Burnley. I think the Europa League start of the season had a massive effect on, on their season. It wasn't something they came to, to terms with uh, too quickly. I'd but, literally forgotten they were in the Europa Yeah, they were in the Europa League and had a lot of games at start of the season. And they were playing on a Thursday. Uh, I don't think they, they... And they wanted to do well, as you right. do when you're first time in, the, in Europe. You want to do well. And uh, it, it impacted their season. So fair play to them. And uh, a massive result, especially when you, you look at the, the, the Huddersfield result uh, and the Fulham result. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a few weeks ago, you're thinking, you know, if they continue like this, they could be in real trouble. But Sean is, is consistent in his message, never changes. Uh, he's a big fan of Michael Cox and your work with Zona Marking. Not, not so much, but uh, no, he's, he's done well to turn around. It was a good, uh, it was a good time to play Wolves as well, right? Because they've struggled after international breaks, and they're also resting Jimenez and Doherty, who two of the best two players ahead of a game in midweek, and then the cup semi the next cup, yeah. weekend. Have you have you ha- have you come across Sean Dyche much? Have you spent much time with him? Yeah, Sean. Uh, Sean was at Bristol City when I just left. Oh, uh, and Sean was a player there. Uh, he's been in the studio and he's done a few shows at, at PLP. Mm. Um, he's a great character. Um, he's. Uh, someone who loves talking about football and you can see the enthusiasm and I'm really pleased because sometimes you say to managers there's always a window of opportunity when you should leave a football club right you know and you think oh they look back and they regret 10 minutes after you signed absolutely (laughs) and uh, you thought that window of opportunity might have gone for Sean with you know Burnley doing well last season but he's loyal and sometimes you feel that loyalty should pay and so hopefully for for Sean, but Burnley will start this season and he can take them forward. All right, loyalty should pay. Not a message that we have much on this. <laughs> no. <laughs> Burnley's, Burnley's running is uh, Bournemouth away, Cardiff at home. Ooh, it gets tricky at the end. They've got Chelsea away, then City at home, then Everton away, and then Arsenal at home. Mm. Uh, Sash, how much trouble are Brighton in? They, they're going to be at Chelsea on Wednesday. Your old, uh, your your son Liam's old side, of course, mm-hmm. Leroy. They've got tough games to finish the season as well. Spurs, Arsenal, and City in their last four. There are games when Brighton. I mean, even there was a bit of a siege against Southampton. They just don't look like scoring at all. Right. They they just it's um, basically textbook definition of predictable what they do. Uh, there isn't enough incision, not enough pace going forward. I mean, even the siege delayed on the Southampton goal at the weekend. I think you know if you basically pile your men back, you should be able to defend against that. I mean. I hug back to the time they, they played Liverpool when I went down to Brighton in, in, in January and that was a 1-0 tightish looking game and they just could, they, 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 they couldn't even rouse themselves for, 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 for a finale. There was no, almost, it's probably a bit harsh, no intelligence in attacking there, I think. Mm. Uh, well, they've got FA Cup, of course, coming up next weekend against Man City, but very much part of that relegation picture at the moment alongside Southampton and Burnley. Huddersfield are down now mathematically, Michael, will you miss them? What's your favourite memories of the Terriers? Well, they had that win over Manchester United mm. quite early in their first season. Uh, I, I don't think the neutral will miss them. It's been a nice story. They're well-run club. And just to get up from the, the championship, I think, was incredible. I think they came up with a negative goal difference, didn't they? And got through the, the playoffs, playoffs, which yeah. was... Playoffs, so, yeah. Right, yeah, because yeah. uh, they've failed to score in 38. More than half of their Premier League games, in fact. yeah. They've they've sometimes been an interesting tactical challenge against some of the big sides, but I think the lack of 
star qualities cost them. Ed Quoth Raven says, when discussing Huddersfield going down, can you give this stat some love? The stat comes from HTLCO, who says, Crystal Palace are now relegated three teams, Hull, Stoke and Huddersfield, from the Premier League in the last three seasons. Patrick van Aanholt has scored the final goal in all three of those games. Wow. How remarkable. The man who hammers in the nail. Right. There you go. Uh, Fulham will be down tomorrow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't really see them picking up a a win at Watford. All right. Kind of stayed there in. They're just... Yeah, I, th- I think they. Th- there is something about Scott Parker which I think is worth mentioning. Uh, after the games, I've seen a couple of times uh, recently, he comes across very well. Mm-hmm. He comes across very sensibly, very reasonably. And this reminds me of someone um, in a similar predicament with a struggling team, Leonid Slutsky at Euro 2016, where I think a situation which is very difficult, you need someone who's perhaps a little bit less reasonable and realistic. Um, like rather than say, well, we'll have all these problems, we'll probably go down, we can't do this, can't do that, but let's try this a little bit, lads. You need someone who I think can say something a little bit more crazy to G everyone up, right. which I think in, in Sparker's case, I th- you know, the way he comes across, I think, he, I think he'll be a very good coach going forward, but I think in this situation, mm. there needs to be some level of unreasonableness around the manager. Leroy, it's your former club, of course. Yeah. What do you make of, I mean, what were your hopes for Fulham at the start of the season? When they had that incredible spending spree, where do they rank? In, in I mean, a hundred million spent was yeah, they were like very high up in Europe. Exactly. I, think. I mean, I thought they'd be absolutely fine. Mm. I thought they'd be just below Wolves. Wolves were terrific in the Championship. I thought, yeah, this is for them. Uh, the way they play will suit the Premier League. I think they they might get beaten heavily at times, but I think they'd win games because they score goals with Mitrovic and Kearney. I thought they'd play more or less the same way. Maybe just strengthen the the back four. Where I thought, yeah, there was always a weakness. But then to discard. What everything they did in the championship was just it was just unbelievable for me because they play some of the and Kearney for me you know people ask me what are the players who will stay in the Premier League uh, from that Fulham side well I think Mitrovic will mm-hmm. because he scores goals there's not many of his type I really like him as a centre forward people think he's overweight but he has a knack of getting his head on the ball and the opposition's side and getting headers on target there's not many centre forwards like that I think Kearney I think is a terrific footballer. And if he had been playing consistent, I know he's had injury, injuries. If he played consistently, we would have seen the best of him. Ryan Sessegnon is only 18 years old. Again, you, you've got to believe in young players and sometimes you've got to allow them to play badly and learn from that and then move forward again. Uh, that just didn't happen uh, for them. They bought too many players who were good on the ball but didn't want to defend. And it's cost them dearly. So I'm really disappointed. It cost the fans dearly as well. I know, I'm really disappointed because, I, you know, I, I think Fulham are a side who should be comfortable in, in the Premier League after what they've achieved. Well, Sasha actually brought back one of those flyers from Saturday's game, Stop the Greed, the hashtag there. Because some of their season tickets, the cheapest season ticket is the third most expensive cheapest season ticket in the Premier League. They, they used to be saying. really cheap to watch for them back in the day. And I think this season when they went up, the prices well, went... Actually, they were cheap to watch. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but they kept the prices at the same level. I think Because I remember that's how they attracted lots of neutrals right. when they went up to the Premier League. I think basically they, they, they started started going up when QPR started going down. So for for West London sort of wavering audiences, they managed to attract a lot of people. And one of the things when they were in the Premier League, they had very cheap season tickets. I have friends who would support other clubs, but they will go down to Fulham because they could go watch Premier League football mm. week in, week out. And it just it was, it's a lovely place to watch football. They had a decent team and it was cheap. Um, and then now, so this time they went up, and I saw, I saw some of the ticket prices for the big games, like 75, 80 quid wow. to, watch, to watch Fulham. Um, okay. That's not denigrate Fulham, but basically for the for the, the the prices just went too high, and I think 
To be fair, you got a lot of goals for your money. In your goal, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the re- record in terms of conceding goals, yeah. Exactly. yeah. But I think so much stuff of the pitch has gone wrong. And on top of signing all these, um, uh, sort of the, perhaps the wrong type of outfield player, mm. for me, the like the warning bells early in the season was the two new goalkeepers. I mean, uh, like Fabri comes in, he's right. dropped after two games. Sergio Rico looks completely unsuitable. Mm-hmm. Bettinelli's situation is very odd, then he gets given a new contract and gets dropped. Goalkeeping coach leaves, right. and you think that's just one localized position. What's happening with everywhere else? But I think that was very symptomatic that something, maybe there was too much nervous activity about what should happen once we go up to the Premier League rather than staying balanced. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll move on now because uh, we should address. Uh, the current championship, uh, lots of other exciting things that happened this weekend, including, hey, the Checker Trade Trophy. After this. It's never been easier to mess things up. Whether you're confusing vegans with dairy intolerance, offering your seat to a pregnant lady who isn't pregnant, or, like Liverpool, chucking away a seven-point lead at the top of the Premier League in a matter of weeks. Good one, lads. That's why Paddy Power do money-back specials, so not all mistakes cost you as much. Paddy Power. Home of the money back special. Applies to first bet on all losing goal scorer, correct score and water to Paddy. Bets on the match. Max refund £10. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Huddersfield heading to the Championship. Who's coming the other way? Well, uh, Norwich and Leeds and possibly Aston Villa after this weekend. The Canaries moving five points clear now at the top of the Championship after their 1-0 win over Middlesbrough. In a game, meanwhile, that featured only the seven yellow cards, Leeds moved back up to second with a 3-2 win at home to Millwall. And Bristol City, Leroy, uh, same scoreline for them as they beat the hot Sheffield United. So, uh, that yeah, that's left them, I think, one point off the playoff places. Yeah, they're just in seventh place. Villa uh, made it five wins in a row with a 2-1 win over Blackburn. That moved them up to fifth. It's all very exciting, isn't it? Uh, we'll have more of all of this kind of thing on the Totally Football League show. And they'll also no doubt be discussing the sad departure of Steve McLaren from Queen's Park Rangers. Speaking of Leeds, though, quick reminder that Totally Football Live in Leeds is now only a fortnight away. And yes, eagle-eyed listeners or eagle-eared listeners, not sure if eagles are noted for their hearing. Um, owls? Owls' hearing's good. Yep. Anyway, um, but you've spotted the fact that James Horncastle has been dropped ruthlessly from the lineup. Oh. We've upgraded him to. Who did we upgrade him to? <laughs> D- Duncan Alexander. <laughs> That's right. So now it's me, Rory Smith, Duncan Alexander, and Julian Laurence. That's at the Leeds City Varieties Music Hall on Monday, the 15th of April. Come along to hear us talking badly about James Horncastle <laughs> and well about Leeds and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, you can get your tickets at cityvarieties.co.uk. Right, check a trade trophy. Who saw this? I had it on with the some Premier League games as uh-huh. well. It was up in the top line court and it kept on catching my eye. Right. Um, because, well, we were staying in the hotel and met some Sunderland fans in the hotel and right. they were absolutely buzzing. The place was absolutely packed. The atmosphere looked amazing. Second biggest crowd anywhere in Europe um, um, this weekend. Second to Barcelona, wasn't it? Which yeah, is yeah. Un- unbelievable. And it was seemed like a, a, an unbelievable game. I think Portsmouth were 1-0 down with 10 minutes to go. Uh, they grabbed an equaliser and then I was keeping my eye on it and then it went into extra time and I saw this fantastic lob. It was a half-volley lob. From Jamal Lowe. It was a terrific finish. And then I kept my eye on it and then 
I thought, is that an equaliser from Sunderland or are they just repeating the goal? And I looked at it about three times and they did get a late equaliser and then it went to penalties. Oh. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't know that he was still there. Lee Catamol mm. missed the, the, the decisive penalty and, and Portsmouth came out on top. And I was so pleased for Kenny Jacket because he's been a manager for many, many years. He you know, was under Graham Turner, Turner, uh, Taylor, so he learnt his trade. And um, he's been a consistent manager and uh, Portsmouth are a massive club. And then I thought, oh... I wonder where they are in the league because I wasn't quite sure where they were in League One, third and fourth. You know, it's a resurgence for Sunderland because it was—it's been so such an awful two seasons right. uh, for Sunderland. So two sides in a great place, and they'll take something. Both sides will take something from it because Sunderland fans haven't had a great day. I know they lost the game, but that must have been the best day out they've had in a very, very long time. They, they might have another one, of course, because exactly. they, they, they might meet. Uh, Portsmouth in the uh, the playoff final. Exactly. So you know, there's lots to look forward from those two clubs. What'd you get for winning the Checker Trade Trophy? Uh, just a Checker Trade Trophy. <laughs> <laughs> reward enough for any. any well, club. I, well, it's a long time. So I mean, it, well, I was the one of the caretaker managers at Bristol City, and uh, uh, I think it was LDV Fans Trophy. And people don't realise it, but you know, we do exactly the same things. You know, you go out and get measured up for suits and it is like an FA Cup final, you know, too. So, you know, people who scoff at it because, and they say, well, Wembley's half empty and, but it's not, that's not what it's about. It, it, it's a, it was a big fillet for us at Bristol City at the time and it's, it'll be a big fillet for these clubs as well. Because How did your final go, Leroy? Oh, we won 2-0. Nice one. 2-0, yeah, yeah. Well, no, that was when Liam played. Actually, we lost 2-0 to Stoke. That was another one. Liam oh. scored in one where they oh, won nice. 2 okay. We lost 2-0 to Stoke. I always wonder why you didn't call Liam uh, Junior, but that must be a question that you get asked a lot. Well, I, I named him after Liam Brady, who I played with. Did you? Yeah, yeah. And okay. my dad's name was, was Willie. And right. so it was halfway between Liam, who was the best player I ever played with, and uh, my dad. It so all fits together. It all fits together. Where did Leroy junior. come from? Leroy? Yeah. Uh, uh, Leroy just came from my dad um, because my sisters are Lauren, Linda, Lorna, and Lena, and they wanted another L, so they called me Lee. Yeah, my dad was a little bit eccentric, but uh, all are, we're all L's, my, my sisters and I. How about that? Uh, of course, you're now Leroy Resenia MBE because yeah. of your work in the battle against discrimination in football. Of course, th- this weekend, the Premier League doing their No Room for Racism initiative. Mm-hmm. Amidst all the kind of depressing stories, and particularly of late, is it still a positive balance? Can you see things? Have things improved? James, there's so many positive things that have happened, you know, in the last few weeks. And it all started with Raheem Sterling, who I think is big magnificent on the pitch and off the pitch. I call him a, a, he's a credit to, to the game um, in the way that he reacted to that incident at Chelsea where he posted those two incidents. And it got people thinking. And then since then, you know, after the incidents at England, by the way, which have been going on for years, mm. the Premier League had the, the press conferences on Thursday and Friday. Every single manager said, this is not good enough. This is something we had to do. I'd be prepared to take my team off the pitch. I've been saying this for years, but I didn't have to do... I wasn't involved. No one called me over the weekend to get a reaction because I usually get about 10 or 12 calls when something like that happens because everybody who everybody listens to Pep Guardiola, to Neil Warnock, to, to Jurgen Klopp, were saying that this is something that we have to deal with. And then on top of that, we had, we had the No Room for Racism initiative from the Premier League. So I thought... These things have always happened. You know, there's been people saying things and being abusive, but the reaction was brilliant. Now we have to just keep it going, keep the momentum going and make sure that we deal with it properly. And if that means that we ban a club from a, a, a competition, but and alongside that, 
run a programme where they're trying to do as much as they can within the club. And I give Millwall as an example. I'm, by the way, I hated Millwall. When I was at West Ham, I hated playing at Millwall. Mm. But by the way, their community department is magnificent. They've done everything to try and uh, educate people and bring people together. And I think there was an incident a little while ago but you cannot then blame the club when they've put in place all these things in terms of anti-racism because they're doing everything they can. Right. That can't be the, said the same for certainly Montenegro and other football clubs. And people said, look, you, well, that's not fair if you ban them. Well, you don't ban them if they've put things in place and they're, they're looking for and they're trying to erase it. So there's, it's a chicken and an egg thing. So mm-hmm. you, you have to punish properly, but you have to say, look, you have to get your, 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 your club in order and then this won't happen. You will not get banned. You will not get fined. We'll help you to get rid of those individuals who are causing your, your football club a problem. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Moving back to the football then, Saturday saw United beating Watford 2-1. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who was debuting as United's permanent manager, describing his team as looking like they were on holiday. What's going on? Nothing much. I mean, I, I don't think that they played any worse than they have done in previous games under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, really? to be honest. Yeah, they've had a few positive, sorry, a few fortunate results, positive results when they haven't played mm. very well. That's... I think that's what he's got out of them more than anything else. OK, because Watford did look all over them for large parts this game. They did. They played very well. I thought Dale Defoe was very lively. He's been one of my favourite players to watch this season. To go back to what we said about uh, Salah, he reminds me a bit of, of what Salah used to be. Incredibly dangerous, poor decision-making, but just fantastic to watch if you're a neutral. And yeah, United got quite lucky, I thought, particularly with the second goal through uh, Martial, which was a very strange one. I think also uh, credit to Gracia, because uh, I went to the game earlier this season at the Vicarage Road All right. when Jose Mourinho was still around and Jose Mourinho enjoyed that particular battle. But I think on that particular day, they tried to go a bit physical against United and United were just bigger and stronger. This time, they, they actually played them off the park through movement. So I think Gracia learned from the first game, okay. which is a fair play to him. And also, interestingly, the, so the two semi-finalists who are meeting in the FA Cup this weekend, how different their approaches were. Watford were completely focused on winning this game and you know going for it, whereas Wolves were completely unfocused in their particular match. So I wonder if... So Wolves have to play United midweek now, so I'd be interested to see how they approach that. And in what sort of mental state do the two opposing sides come to the weekend? Sounds like it's actually suggesting that Watford's focus might actually help them. I think it could do. Yeah. Right. OK, uh, big win for Everton at West Ham, which you touched on earlier on, described by Pellegrini as a complete disaster of a performance, the worst of the year but Everton now putting victories together and getting clean sheets in reasonably tough looking fixtures as well home to Chelsea then away at West Ham does Marco Silva know what he's doing after all Leroy? Um, you hope so you know uh, I think the, the the question marks about Marco Silva about defensively the players that he's got I mean Bernard you know we all know what a great footballer he is but we just felt oh there's been no end, end product he hasn't scored any goals you know does he really get enough assists? does some lovely little things but it was all there at the weekend against West Ham so you have to give him time Marco Silva to, to prove I think there's this element of doubt of, as to whether he's got enough to take Everton to where they want to want to go but you have to give him a chance and an opportunity um, but I do think this game was all about West Ham. The only consistent thing about West Ham is that they're totally inconsistent. You know, and, and Perez. Where, why was Perez playing when Hernandez has scored? You know, a few goals before against against Huddersfield. It was just poor. And it's conceding from set pieces as well. West Ham. We said that about Everton, but that's the same that can be said about about West Ham. You just wonder if Pellegrini. He's so laid back. You just wondered if if you know he didn't bother doing defensive set pieces. But in saying that, West Ham at mid table. Right. They're safe. 
and they are they've got a manager who has got great pedigree. So it's a real it's, it's a real conundrum for me because I, I feel that West Ham have underperformed, but I'm really pleased with where they are this year. Okay, Marko Anasovic back in the starting lineup for this game, but so Anasovic back obviously in the press. But is this does this game show how important Mark Noble is? To just basically get everybody functioning on that pitch because without him they they just all wandered around and just just didn't really do anything at all. And for for me, maybe Noble, yes, people say his legs are going and they've been saying that for a number of years. But he's that yard dog in the middle of the park who actually gets everyone around him to do their jobs. Fair. Leicester meanwhile beat Bournemouth two nil in a game which saw the first use of outstanding by Brendan Rodgers to describe his team. <laughs> ah. Uh, Wes Morgan certainly earned that epithet, his third goal in four since the arrival of Brendan Rodgers. Bournemouth now with their 10th defeat in their last 11 on the road. Uh, your midweek viewing, listener. Oh, there's Arsenal-Newcastle uh, this evening. They could go third, couldn't they? They could move above Spurs. Tuesday, Watford are up against Fulham while Wolves host Man United. On Wednesday, then Chelsea up against Brighton and Man City-Cardiff and... Big news in North London, Spurs Palace, Tottenham's first proper home game of the season. Now, excitingly, the second test event for this league fixture was the Legends game against, well, I would call them Interlegends, but there were some interesting names. Did you enjoy the chance to see the likes of Hussein Kaja again? (laughs) I, I, I saw highlights of this game. It's always played at a very slow pace, isn't it? Mm. Um, but there were some good moments. Robbie Keane scored a fantastic goal. Long ball, bouncing, checked the goalkeeper's position over his shoulder and half volleyed it with his outside of his right foot. That was very good. Gaza had a run out briefly. Uh, who else was there? Ooh, Berbatov taking time out from making his girlfriend smile. Uh, Jürgen Klinsmann, who played for one side and then mm. the other. Uh, Raphael van der Vaart, Galante... Do you remember Fabio Galante? The name rings a bell. He was, he's basically a curly-haired defender for Inter and then he played Livorno. He was incredibly good-looking and a kind of classic Italian. Now looking a bit grisly, actually, to be, to be fair. <laughs> uh, Laurent Blanc was there, Ginola, Zanetti and uh, Sebastian Veron. So quite a lineup wow. of names, eh? Uh, and Jose Mourinho, who was assistant manager for the Inter Legends alongside former Inter keeper Francesco Toldo. But his presence there raised one or two eyebrows given Inter's current predicament and the wobbly nature of uh, Luciano Spalletti's uh, position. They had a 1-0 defeat Sunday night, Inter, and Spalletti uh, causing controversy afterwards in his post-game comments. Is Spalletti seen as a little bit deranged in Italy? He's a particular manager. Mm. I mean, he's really strange in terms of his personal skills. He's a little bit Corbyn-esque in his kind of almost single-minded pursuit of his own narrative when everybody else is talking about... (laughs) Other things, and I don't mean in a negative sense, but I mean you can take it in a negative sense. It's a, it's a particular kind of uh, personality trait of Spalletti, but he's done brilliantly before, and he arguably did very well with Inter last season. Just this season, it's not coming together for him, and I mean, they are in the top four. But Lazio's win Sunday night means that uh, their position is and Milan's. You know, Lazio really knocking on that particular door. Anyway. Uh, that was all because Spurs were having that test event to get ready for their match against Crystal Palace. Uh, do you know what the score was last time they met Crystal Palace, Spurs? It was 1-0, Sasha, and the time before that, and the time before that, really? and the time before that. <laughs> and yes, the time really? before that as well. Wow. Five one nils in a row. Wow. Two yeah. who? Two Spurs. Oh, every Spurs. Time. Yeah, yeah okay. two Spurs. 
Uh, that's in the league because they did lose against Palace at Selhurst Park in the FA Cup earlier this season. This move into the stadium, Leroy, really <laughs> briefly, uh, a lot of people expecting it to give them a massive boost, Spurs, but might the unfamiliar standing uh, surroundings throw them a bit? It might do, um, and it depends on, on that game against Palace. And, uh, you know, it, it took them a little bit of time to settle into Wembley, but it was home, it was very difficult for teams to go there and get a result. And... Uh, and so you know, I'll reserve judgment on that. But I tell you what I do like about the stadium is that, that they've gone one better with everything than Arsenal at the at the Emirates. One more media room, a thousand more seats. Everything is one better than Arsenal Stadium, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, it will debut then Wednesday night. And I know that uh, TV are, di- are, are going to... Do the opening ceremony. Do the opening yeah. ceremony. <laughs> do, you know, do we have any details of that, Michael? Who's playing? Is it David Guetta? I've no idea, but these are always uh, slightly comedic. I mean, I remember West Ham's closing ceremony was oh slightly my bizarre. God. Yeah, with, yeah. with oh, the so just went tax, on taxis driving around the pitch and stuff. In the rain. So, yeah. <laughs> I'd left by then. Unwisely, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, and then I couldn't get back home because every, there was no taxis, there was no trains. Oh yeah, that, that was that was something. Yeah. But I didn't realize they're doing an opening ceremony. I might oh, rock yeah. up a bit earlier then. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it should be good. Oh, you're going along on? Yeah, I'll, I'll go along on Wednesday. Oh, right, just, you know, have an interesting stadium. Certainly, yes. Up to. Uh, OK, after this, listener, strap in, strap on. We're going to be whizzing around Europe to talk about some unbelievably tight title races. Tight title races. There are lots of them. Not in Italy, to be fair, where you've got 15 points between Juventus and Napoli. Nor in France, where PSG are 20 points clear of Lille. Or Scotland, where Celtic are 13 ahead of Rangers after beating them this weekend 2-1 but Holland oh my word Ajax are now only two points behind PSV Sasha I bet you watched this game did you? I just saw the extended highlights but there were some highlights Um, Ajax had to win this game so they go 1-0 up early Uh, Daniel Schwab inexplicably sort of almost kicks it out of his goalkeeper's hands then later on Daniel Schwab fouls David Neres in the box penalty given in the meantime um, Ajax went down to 10 men uh, because uh, Nusse Masrui got sent off. Rosario. Hendricks naar Angelino. Oh, lastig aangespeeld. Sop, de been is wel heel hoog van Masrui. En die gaat er ook uh, geel voor krijgen voor die actie ten opzichte van de linksback. Hele elftal van, uh, van Bommel die duik op de scheidsrechter. It was the highest karate kick I've ever seen uh, in my life. And it was absolutely justified as well. But incredibly, initially, referee only gave a yellow card. <laughs> and it was only after VAR that he had another look. That he sent him, he was sent off. And as he's walking down the tunnel, right. there's a screen there showing that the free kick is being swung in. Onana comes out flying and nowhere near it. And Luke de Jong equalizes for PSV. Uh, so that was squeaky bomb time for Ajax. But um, to be fair, they played very well with 10. And uh, now they're within two points. And yeah, that's, that's, points, a, that's a hell of a title race there. Yeah, two you, points in... Sorry, Leroy. I was going to say, you mentioned VAR because the penalty they got yeah. was down to VAR. VAR and they had to keep... And he showed... He watched it about eight times. And if VAR hadn't been there, they wouldn't have given the penalty. I, I thought it was a penalty. I don't know what you think. Just about. I think he, his foot gets twisted really weirdly, doesn't yeah. it? So it's, it's almost thinking, did he get touched? Did he kick the ground? I don't think there's any points uh, on making that challenge no. where he is. But yeah, so two bad interventions. Yeah. That's where slow motion was used really well and they right. came to the right decision. Also at the uh, Spurs Interlegends game as well. <laughs> <laughs> Ajax, 
Ajax, who are going to be facing Juve next week in the Champions League. In Germany, it's just two points there between the top two. But Bayern only managed a 1-1 draw at Freiburg, while Dortmund beat Wolfsburg thanks to two late Pacacacer goals. And they are two points clear for now. But what happens next weekend, Sasha? They're playing each other. Yeah. But the things in Germany oh. at Westfalenstadion and at Freiburg, 90th minute on the dot, the two crucial things happen. So first of all, by, by, um, so Dortmund go actually goal ahead as uh, Alcacer basically just shoots down the middle and the keeper misjudges, goes straight through him. At the same time, Lewandowski has a free head inside the six-yard box and managed to twist to put it wide. Later, by an injury time, they hit the post and Lewandowski can't turn around to put it in. So in that injury time, the whole momentum of the title race in Germany did change. And of course, they meet at Allianz Arena this week. This weekend is going to be, be huge. Rafa will be joining us on oh, Thursday to preview that game. A couple of bad uh, injuries for Dortmund, though. Hakimi's out for the rest of the season. Left-backs had a really good campaign. Fractured a metatarsal. And also Diallo, the centre-back, who oh. thinks his first season, isn't he? He's been outstanding. Mm-hmm. He's also going to miss the Bayern game. So a good weekend in terms of points, but ahead of next weekend. I mean, that's the game of the season, isn't mm. it? In, in terms of the European leagues. That is huge. Uh, in Portugal, it's even tighter. Benfica and Porto are now level on points. And we mentioned before a special debut for Benfica. A certain player played his first game for them four years after signing for them. Do you know who this is, Leroy? No, I don't. Okay, he's a little clue. He's played for Milan, he's played for Genoa, he's played for Lens, and three London clubs in both the Premier League and the Championship. Wow, I still don't know. He once famously, after being substituted at half-time with his side 3-0 down, then caught a bus and was pictured at the bus stop asking fans how the, yes. the game was going. <laughs> oh. It didn't go well. It finished 6-0 to Fulham. Only who he would go on to play for, actually. You with us now? Uh, yeah, I, I, know, I know the answer. I don't know. It's Adel Tarapt. Adel Tarapt. Yeah. Wow. He's still only 29. He came on Amazing. in the 71st minute of Benfica's 1-0 win over Tondela, it says here. I'm not familiar with Are you familiar with Tondela? Tondela, they're towards the bottom. They're a, yeah. okay. they're, a, they're a team. Okay. <laughs> uh, he had 16 touches. Uh, there you go. Right. That's very exciting. Sasha, you... From, from Liverpool's finance point of view, sort of uh, looked at the highlights of the Porto-Braga game and, oh, my word... Pepe's defending oh. is very encouraging for Liverpool. <laughs> right. Oh, um, I think the first goal, he basically plays five yards behind the rest of the back line, playing two Braga players on sides. And then Iker Casillas, as the ball's being put in, seems to be appealing for an offside. And as his hand is up, the ball hits his hand and oh. rolls into the goal. So technically, Casillas should probably not be appealing for an offside, but actually trying to catch the ball. And then for the second Braga goal, right. uh, Pepe just gets turned like he's not there. Um, but eventually, uh, they won with two penalties. So Porto uh, kind of leveled if he get the top. OK, in other soon-to-be-facing Premier League sides news, Barcelona, who will be Man United's opponents in the Champions League, uh, maintain their 10-point lead over Atletico Madrid uh, with a victory in the Catalan derby over Espanyol. Messi scoring twice. He's now on 22 goals in his last 15 games. Extraordinary. It is, is good. good. Yeah, the um, I mean, there's so many things that Messi's the best at in the world, but the second goal, that kind of late run to get a low ball from the left, he scores so many goals like that. Usually Jordi Alba playing the assists. Yeah. Fantastic. And his free kick was almost mockingly casual. Yes, it was very, uh, a little bit like Ronald Koeman's against England, wasn't it? It kind of flipped over the wall. It, it wasn't really a, it wasn't really a strike, was it? Right. It was a little flick. A little dink over the top, yeah. yeah. Um, also in La Liga this weekend, 
Real Madrid played bottom of the table Huesca and their manager Zinedine Zidane put his kid Enzo uh, in as the starting goalkeeper. It didn't work out terribly well. He conceded, I think, within the first three minutes to struggling Huesca and it took a late, late goal from... Karim uh, Benzema. Classy finish curl into like underneath the bar towards the far corner. To earn Real three points. They will be in action midweek when they visit Valencia, who are battling to get back into the top four. Uh, Napoli, who are going to be Arsenal's opponents in the Europa League, had a massive 4-1 win in Rome against Roma. The Ranieri effect really kicking in for the Giallarossi. Mm-hmm. Uh, all sorts of troubles there. Big game midweek. Uh, in Syria is uh, Roma Fiorentina. Roma really in trouble. They've dropped seventh. Uh, we'll talk about all that sort of thing in Golazzo, our special dedicated Italian podcast, which is with you late Wednesday. There'll be a thorough going over for this weekend's old firm game in the totally Scottish football show. 2-1 it finished, Leroy, yeah. t- for Celtic. And once again, once again, Alfredo Morelli's got sent off. Yes, yeah, fifth time. Fifth time this season. I mean, I was trying to think. That's who's more get... red cards than there were in the entire 2018 World Cup. <laughs> exactly. You know? yeah. I was trying to think, but who used to get sent off all the time for us? And all the time, I meant once or twice a season, but five times. I think he's been sent off three times against Aberdeen, Aberdeen or something yeah. like that. But um, Ryan Kent, the one Michael was talking about, actually uh, pushed uh, was it Brown. Oh, was that it? after the... Said, yeah. And he didn't get sent off, but... And then yeah. there was another red card in, uh, after, in the the tunnel, yeah, after the final whistle. After the final whistle, so it was, all, it was all going off. But, you know, I mean, Stephen Gerrard would be kicking himself because they got back into the game. Kent, who's uh, uh, at Liverpool, he's on loan there, isn't he? I saw him at Bristol City and he didn't look he, he didn't look anything at Bristol City, but he scored a terrific goal to get him back on equal terms. And then they just gave the ball away to allow Celtic to get the winning goal and you just felt, no, it's not been a good day for, for Rangers and Celtic and uh, it continued after the whistle. Indeed, there'll be more of this kind of thing from Andrew Slaven and the Totally Scottish Football Show Tuesday morning in France. Mario Balotelli made it 7-7 seven in seven for Marseille in a 2-2 draw with Angers. The big news, though, the League Cup name says, please touch on the French League Cup. Strasbourg winning it after being in the French 5th Division only eight years ago. Incredible achievement. Gangon losing this cup final after beating Lyon, Nice and PSG away uh, in, in their run-up to the, the, the big clash with, with Strasbourg. Sash? Um, I didn't expect... It wasn't a great game of football. I didn't expect much from it because in recent weeks, Gangon has basically either drawn nil-nil or won or lost one-nil. They haven't been particularly prolific side um, but you know a club like Strasbourg I think Tom Williams mentioned it on the previous pod given what they've been through recently the bankruptcies the relegations mm. I mean this is th- th- this is quite an achievement for them um, I think this is their fourth league cup win um, really? and Wenger's old side yeah ex- exactly I mean 50,000 fans uh, in Lille watching that so it's um, I don't think a great game of football but in terms of um, the narrative I think it's, it's a pretty good story uh, Wenger actually brought the trophy out Oh, did oh, he? Was he? he presented, oh, yeah, yeah, before the game. Oh, that's nice. It's a nice touch. Very first nice. time we've seen him back in uh, back in football, really. Oh, I thought you were going to say first time oh, seeing him with a trophy in his hand for a long time. <laughs> 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 he did win some FA Cups, though, didn't he? He did. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, after all of that, let's get some odds now. And some of the action coming up midweek and beyond. Uh, Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thanks, Jimbo. Time to talk to Lee Price from Paddy Power. And Lee, we're going to start with Tottenham Hotspur, who are on a rotten run of form, but they do get to play their first home game proper of the season on Wednesday against Crystal Palace. What's going to happen here? 
Well, after watching them contrive not to win at Anfield on Sunday, I'm not sure. But you'd think they'd have to win this. Their odds on 4-9 to to do so and uphold the narrative. Although losing would still be quite Spursy, wouldn't it? Palace are 11-2 to to inflict another day of naff Twitter bans on Tottenham fans. And the Eagles are a decent away from home. It's 7-2 to they get a draw. I think everyone enjoyed seeing Neil Warnock do his thing against uh, Chelsea on Sunday. How improbable is it that Cardiff bounced back against City this midweek? Christ, what a place to have to bounce back. We'll be surprised if they bounce at all, to be honest. This looks like more of a case of hoping not to get smashed. It's 1-18 to that Man City win this one. Or we can get 35-1 to that Cardiff rebound of style and three points. I suspect they'll be bouncing all over the place to taking just one point with the draw 12-1. to Cardiff now 1-7 to to go down, by the way, having been closer to evens when they were heading against Chelsea. Cruel. And finally, Lee, we've already waved goodbye to Huddersfield. Fulham, it's just a matter of time, surely. But can they go out with a bang and concede 100 goals, or at least 90, which would beat Derby's 89 when they went down? Crikey, we're really going after the strugglers today, aren't we? Fulham got just pride left to play for now, and they haven't shown much of that this season. But they have been better recently under Scotty Parker, conceding just twice against City, Liverpool and Chelsea. And in the reverse fixtures of their final six league games, they conceded 12 goals, which doesn't sound great, but would leave them short of that unwanted record. If you're feeling pessimistic about their chances, it's 5-2 to two, they concede 89 or more league goals. Or if you're really down on Fulham, you can get 16-1 to one that they ship more than 100 league goals this season. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Leroy, I hope you're going to be returning to us soon because this is your first show in when? Nine months? Yeah, something like that? Yeah, six, six months? Six, September. Six September. Months. Yeah. All right. Then, yeah. 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 Uh, excellent. What, would you, what, you, what are you going to be up to this week? This week, um, got to dogs being washed tomorrow. Right. Uh, and then I'm back in on Wednesday, Premier League doing an analysis show and then all what, the games of the weekend. What does dog washing involve? Grooming. I leave, leave them somewhere and then picking them up two hours later. Okay. Yeah, that's what it, I don't know what they do while he's there, but he seems to come out quite happy. What kind of dog do you have? I have a golden cocker spaniel. Yeah, oh. my my golden retriever fifteen died last year. I'm and, so sorry, Leroy. And I know it's it's still sad. And um, uh, wasn't going to get another dog, and I turned up one day, and there was a dog in my front room, and now I walk it, I look after it, I pay for it. Right. But think of all the pleasure. Absolutely. That, that, that dog brings you. <laughs> Michael, what, what, what will be bringing you pleasure this week? Well, the fact that there is uh, Premier League football on right. seven of the next eight days. Is that right? Yeah, wow. so God knows, what, God knows what I'm going to do on Thursday, but the rest of the week sorted. Uh, you can watch the fancy Premier League show and get some top tips for your fancy Premier League team. OK. That's you, a thought. Uh, Sasha, I'll you're just... going to, you lucky thing, you're going to Spurs and Crystal Palace. Yeah, Spurs on Wednesday, uh, Southampton, Liverpool on Friday. Uh, also going to keep a little eye on Copa Libertadores returns this uh, midweek, oh. which reminds me, um, congratulations to Racing, who won the championship in Argentina over the weekend amid, some, amid a festival of calamitous goalkeeping. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if, if the listeners want to Google it, please have a look, because if you think uh, Lloris's error was bad, these Argentinian goalkeepers much, much worse. Really? Really? Remind me, what is your day job, Sasha? I, uh, I'm a project manager. Okay. Right. This is just one of the projects I manage. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Well, you, you, you do it so very well. Um, we will return with Raphael Honigstein, as I mentioned before. Looking forward to Dortmund Bayern. Lindsay Hooper will be joining us from the offside rule, as will Duncan Alexander. Special request for him: red card records in the season, please. You'd like to know who's had the most red cards in a season? 
Okay, has anyone had more than Morelos? Basically, yeah, that's my question because it's astounding. Okay. All right, well, we'll, um, we'll put that term. We'll put that term. Magnificent. Many thanks to everybody for being with us today. Listen, we'll catch you on Thursday. Do enjoy yourself in the meanwhile. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.